there's an article I wrote on LinkedIn. It says, uh, the best technical skills in the world are a waste of time if you don't have a non-technical capability. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 161. With us, we have Lou Adler, the CEO of Performance-Based Hiring. Lou is the CEO and founder of The Adler Group, a consulting and training firm helping companies implement the win-win hiring programs using his performance-based hiring system for finding and hiring exceptional talent. More than 40,000 recruiters and hiring managers have attended his groundbreaking workshops over the past 20 years. He is the author of the Amazon Top 10 Bestseller, Hire With Your Head, and The Essential Guide for Hiring and Getting Hired. Lou Adler, thank you so much for joining me on 20 Minute Leaders. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you very much, Michael. Really, really happy to have you here. Uh, you know, best-selling author on Amazon, uh, the essential guide to hiring and, you know, hire with your head and really a, a world expert on what it means to uh, do intelligent hiring and getting hired and performance-based hiring. Lou, can you tell me a little bit about a little bit about your background and how did you even get sucked into this incredible industry of 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 thinking about hiring? Well, that's actually a good question. It's really good for engineers, too, because my background is an engineer, if you look at my background. Okay. Finance and control systems. Got an MBA in finance and accounting. Uh, then started working in manufacturing, logistics, cost accounting, budgeting, planning, uh, host of different things. Aerospace, uh, <laughs> handheld consumer electronics and automotive, and the whole bit. And the only reason I actually, I was running a manufacturing company I was 40 years ago. I uh, hated the boss. I mean, I get pissed off every single, every other week when he came down, he and I just argued and I quit every, every other week I quit for wow. a year. Finally quit. Decided to become a recruiter. Uh, but, and this is the interesting thing is, as a, an engineering person, especially with manufacturing background, I could see the hiring process was just like making parts. I didn't care if it was automotive parts, a rocket ship, because I worked on guidance systems. In terms um, of the assembly line? It was automotive components. It's just, you have to manage yield. You have to understand what's the product. You have to have a design spec. You have to have a manufacturing process. And you have to manage it every step of the way from concept, from even how you procure parts to final inspection, inspection in between. Most people in hiring don't see it that way. My background as a systems engineer made it a little bit easier, particularly in finance and accounting, because I said, hey, it's more than just making parts. You have to control the cost. You have to get influence people. So very unusual background for hiring. And it's and then I was also a recruiter. I was probably a recruiter because I, I was in college. I part of a fraternity. I was the recruiting of guy. Of course. That's all I did. So <laughs> it's like I was designed to be a recruiting person. I love it. Lou, why, why is recruiting hard? Why is hiring and getting hired a, a, you know, a puzzle that, that confuses everybody? Well, it is a puzzle. It's a great, great question. The puzzle is because it's multidimensional. It's not one-dimensional, two-dimensional, three. It's actually five or six dimensions. Uh, and just getting one dimension right is hard. On top of that, you got human nature, which is one of the dimensions. People make decisions. Candidates get nervous. Hiring managers don't know what they're looking for. Right. HR overwhelms them with cost and budgets and compliance issues that don't help. 
uh, people think that the best people are just going to apply to a job posting and go through the demeaning process. You got all these variables that impact the decision itself. Right. And now you got all oh, you, all the kids going to school, getting engineering degrees. I know for a fact you're not going to make the decision alone. You get an offer. You're going to ask your friends and family, hey, is of this course. a good job? Uh, and if the, you're getting paid 5% less, people go, oh, you're not taking that stupid job, are you, Michael? I mean, there's all these stupid reasons that people take dumb decisions. Uh, but that's what happens. Then you get older, you make even dumber decisions. And then you make a bad decision, you suck it up, and you kiss ass. And all this stuff happens. And then you're, if you get married, your wife says you got to make more money, so you take a stupid job because of more money. And, you know, all this stuff. That's why it's hard. Right. And so, and why do you call these dumb decisions? So what, what is it about these decisions that you don't consider them, you know, intelligent or, or performance-based? Okay. So let me go back 35 years. All right. This is a true story. There was a guy named John Morgan. I had a job offer for him as a plant manager in an electronics manufacturing company. The company at the time was making uh, high definition displays, at least at that time, and they're moving into the displays are really becoming unusual, liquid crystal and other stuff. Uh, I thought I had the job closed. It was a good job plan, you know, probably in today's dollars, $20, $20, probably 150 to $200K. I would have gotten a 30% fee for that. So good fee for me. Uh, he was going to, told me on Monday, he was taking the offer. On Wednesday, he called me up and said, I'm not taking your offer. I got a better offer. Uh, and he told me why. He said, well, better title, closer to home, more money. I then said, well, tell me a little bit about it. And he told me the company, told me the compensation, told me everything about it. I said, John, you've just made a long-term strategic decision using short-term tactical information. That's a dumb, de- now I didn't say him, that was a dumb decision. I was desperate. That's what I just came up with. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, everything you said is about what you got on the start date. Start date is a compensation. It was only like three to 5% more. It was the title of the job better than the one he had. The drive was 15 minutes closer. I said, John, what you do for the next two to three years will impact the rest of your life. You're going into an industry that declining, uh, whatever it was, uh, electronic assembly processes that were outdated. I said, you're going to be going into this industry in three to five years when you come out, you'll be no better than you are today. So you just put a lid on your career. On the other hand, if you go to this other job where they're putting state-of-the-art displays or going overseas, uh, I know the title's a little bit less, but you're on a, putting yourself a better career trajectory. But how how can you, you know, and I'm looking at myself. Story. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, story, sorry. It's, but it's a good story. <laughs> uh, he calls me the next day, says, I'm taking your offer. Nine months later, he calls me back and said, Lou, best decision I ever made. Best thing you've ever said to me about making a strategic career decision. I've now been made VP operations. We're moving, making three plants in China. This is when China was expanding. Uh, the idea of you have to make career decisions, not day one decisions. So focus on decision-making is what you're going to be doing in year one and beyond, not what you get on the start date. And all the people who advise you will be focusing on the start date. What's your comp? What's your title? Is it cool? Is it this and that? That's the dumb decision. And all your advisors will focus on the dumb decision stuff, not the long-term career decision. And that's if I had any message to say is focus on what you're going to be doing and becoming, not what you get on the start date. I think that's incredible. I was just taking a, a, a fascinating a, a class at the Stanford Business School with Professor Demarest. He was the head of communications for, for George Bush Sr. Uh, during his presidency. And the whole class was about how strategy equals context. 
and how you when you're approaching a decision and you have the facts on the on the on the on the sheet of paper it seems like an easy decision but you're missing the most important factor which is the context of the decision and what you're describing is exact is exactly the same thing where you're where you think the context is the career it's not this moment of time and how much you're going to get today well let me give you another story because yes. when you're my age you tell stories I love stories yes well, I, I have an MBA from UCLA. My first year, I became a financial analyst. I also had an engineering degree. And I was at the corporate headquarters of the 35th largest company in the country. All I was doing was showing the slides. That's all I was doing. I was in an operations review meeting. The group president was there, chairman of the company, the CFO. That is big. And I was nervous as heck. That's like 25. Nervous. So, so nervous. I didn't even want to say a word. I was even nervous flipping the slides. That's what they did. I mean, I was so nervous being in front of all these powerful people. The CFO of this corporation had a group president. It was probably a $3 billion group. Uh, and the CFO of the parent company said to this group president, he said, strategy drives tactics. And I don't care how good the tactics you are. Your strategy sucks. Get the fuck out of this room and come back with a good strategy because you're wasting everybody's time. Wow. And this is, this is, and I'm sitting here 25 years old and hearing this comment to a group president. And I was just blown away. But it's driven. That was the idea of, Boy, strategy, if you don't have the wrong strategy, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're going to waste your time. Now I go back to hiring. I believe too many people have the wrong talent strategy. They feel they can weed out the weak rather than attract the best. And when you attract the best, you have to nurture them. You have to spend more time with people. They have to understand the job requirements. When you weed out the weak, they got to go through a funnel and an automated, impersonal funnel and endure the, uh, the inhumanity of applying for a job and then not being told and all this other stuff. So. It's the fundamental attract-in strategy versus a weed-out-the-week strategy. So at the corporate level, it's a strategy problem. At the individual level, making a decision, it's also a strategy problem. So then tangibly, you know, looking at my generation, and, and let's look, for example, at the engineering uh, demographic, uh, people who are coming out of college uh, with an engineering degree, and they're faced with uh, an insurmountable number of, of opportunities uh, ranging from startups to corporates to, to you know, uh, financial institutions. And, and how do you go about making a decision for yourself? And how, and then I'd like to flip the conversation on how does a hiring manager can look at a, you know, 22-year-old candidate and, and determine whether they will be a good fit for their company with no previous experiences? That's a great question. And it's, it, so I'm going to give you my biased viewpoint. Of course. My first job as an engineer was in a big corporation. And when I got my MBA, it was still at a big corporation. So I learned how big corporations function. I learned how engineers in big corporations function. And my first manager, we were a cool manager, and it was an aerospace company, uh, and it was a systems engineer for a nuclear missile program. And he said, I don't want you to do any work. He was 22 years old. I don't want you to do any work. I want you to answer these two questions. And he said, why does E equals MC squared, and why can't you push on a rope? I said, well, I don't need to go to the meeting, but I know the answer to both of those questions. He said, no, you don't know the answer. That's why you have to, I want you to meet everybody in a company, and I'll take you out to lunch on Thursday, and we'll discuss your answers on Thursday. So this was four days. All he said, all I want you to do is talk to everybody and get the answers to those two questions. Wow. So the idea that I got was that at a big company, and a, you have to have a good manager. So if you don't have a good manager, it's kind of you're going to lose. So I always had good managers help and mentors, so they helped you. Uh, but the idea was the, tech, the technology is for engineers. Yeah, that's important. But you can't 
convince other people uh, of it by proving it technology. You have to influence them using different set of skills. I don't want to call them soft skills or non-technical skills. How do you convince somebody who has a point of view that's not the same as what your point of view is, that skill? And that's what I learned. I mean, I didn't learn it. I understood it uh, on the, by the fourth day on the job because he met me, meet, meet everybody. It was 35 engineers. Wow. Uh, so it was kind of interesting. Now, let me kind of say that story again, because this is as important of making a choice. I took this job. I was going to engineering school upstate New York. I took the job in Southern California because on March of 1968, when I got my engineering degree, upstate New York, it was snowing. I get a call from a company in Southern California. It was Vietnam. Uh, he said, Lou, we'd like to make you an offer. No interview. I'd like to make you an offer. I was a pretty good engineer. Um, I said, what's the weather? That was the first question. What's the weather? 72 degrees. I said, well, again, deferment. He said, absolutely. You're going to work on a nuclear guidance program for a Minuteman missile. I said, well, I get any relocation. He said, yes. I had no money. How much? 15 or 18 cents a mile. I said, when do I get that money? He said, the day after you start. I said, I'll take that offer. I mean, this was not real rocket science offer. Uh, but this was interesting. When I got there, and these were brilliant people, working on how to place a nuclear missile using 1968 technology within 100 yards of downtown the enemy, Moscow, in this case. Sorry for anybody in Russia, but that's what the plan was. Um, and they could do it. The guys hated the job, hated the job. I thought it was pretty cool. 22 was pretty cool. Um, I said, why? And as I got to know them over the course of a year, they had all worked on the lunar landing project, all of them. And they said, wow. we went five years, 24-7, doing exactly the same work, but because the mission was important, they went all out. Wow. So the work itself is important. The team you're working with is important, but the mission is just as important. If you're doing something that's important, not just for you, but for something else, you just get totally motivated. It's not work. It's just an exciting venture. That job was not an exciting adventure for me. I've had others that were, but if you can get the mission right, boy, you're in the game. So I don't know if that's the answer to your question, but- No, no, 100%. Important. And now, you know, looking over the years, as you're becoming more and more of an expert of hiring and you're seeing all these different case studies and, and you're, you're, you're part of these case studies, do you observe any different trends in the young, young demographic on how we make uh, this, how we make decisions on, on which companies we join or what career paths we take? Are there, are there shifts through generations? Yeah, I think that they definitely are. So, I, And this is the problem. I don't think human nature, I talk to guys, not necessarily your age, but certainly young people frequently and middle-level people and older people. I have not seen a change in human nature as a result of all what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Smart people are smart people. They were smart people 30, 20, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So it's, that has not changed. What happened is the corporate world has changed a little bit. Uh, I think, so if I had to make advice, I'd say, now if you could get to a place one to two, three years where you really put on some kind of rotation program and really put in different series, that's invaluable. That just takes your education to another level. Now of you're course. seeing how all these different functions work and how you learn how you can push on a rope and understanding that. I call them the non-technical skills. And I make, there's an article I wrote on LinkedIn. It says, uh, the best technical skills in the world are a waste of time if you don't have a non-technical capability. And I basically say that hire, people hire, get hired for their technical skills, but they get 
fired for their lack or they don't get promoted for the lack of ability to work with people, managing projects, key budget, making commitments. And if you can't put both of them together, it's gonna, you're going to be disappointed and wonder, why, why am I getting ahead? Why is this not happening? It's the soft skills. I hate to call the word soft because they're too important. I'll call them non-technical skills. But it's that combination of both of them. If you get an opportunity to do both of them, you're in the game. Of if course. you don't get an opportunity, uh, you know, and I think a startup could be interesting, but you don't get the foundation of how to grow a company. And that's why I, I would be real concerned about a startup, uh, pure startup. I just, I, the executives don't know how to run a company and you're going to be in there not knowing how to run a company. You're going to have a, uh, it might be an interesting experience and a rocket ship ride, but you're not going to get the foundation you need. So you mean uh, you're, you're so meaning worried about, about somebody who has no experience in the sort of the real real world or the corporate world running into running a startup and being an executive of day one and being a leader of day one, not having experienced some of these ropes themselves. But, uh, but Lou, I also want to, tr to transfer the conversation also to, uh, you know, hopefully one day, uh, sooner rather than later, when I have my own venture and I will hire people and I will need to know what people do I hire and I will have to make some decisions. What are the key things that I should keep in mind in performance-based hiring as you've written in your books? Okay, so here's the, uh, it happened a conversation this morning with a head of research for a major search firm, one of the top three search firms in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was talking about diversity hiring. How do you really get a higher diverse talent? And I said, basically, it's at the job description level. And I want, I'm going to go back to my first search assignment, which was 42 years ago. I knew the president of a company, the company was making automotive components, and no job description, no list. But and he did have a rough. I need someone with probably 10 years experience and a degree of this way and this kind of background. I said, you know, Mike, that's not a job description. Right. That's a person description. A Job doesn't have experience. A job doesn't have skills. A person has that. Let's put the job description in the parking lot. What does the person need to do to be successful? Right. I asked that question. He said, we got to turn around the plant. I said, fine, let's walk through the plant. Spent an hour walking through the plant. Labor problems, logistics problems, warehousing <laughs> problems, manufacturing process problems, lack of control, no, no quality control. I mean, it was just a terrible plant. I'm looking at material all over the plant floor. I said, this is a terrible plant. We'll get someone to fix it. That was my first placement. I have never used a job description listing skills experience since then. I always ask the hiring manager, what does the person need to do to be successful? Five or six performance objectives. Build a team of accountants to launch a new product. Uh, work with marketing and product management to develop a new system that does A, B, and C. Uh, put together a product roadmap for the next three years based on industry trends. It's stuff that people need to do. So if you don't know that, how can you possibly assess a person? When I interview candidates, I say, hey, one of the big things we have to do is put a product roadmap together that looks at this uh, series of economic considerations. Have you ever done something like that? Walk me through it. So what I do is I define the jobs, a series of performance objectives, and I ask candidates to tell me about work they've done that's most similar. And okay. I look at the people who you know, have, have done the most comparable work. It doesn't have to be identical. It's just comparable in decision-making, complexity, uh, design, team, collaborative skills. So And then I'm in the game. That opens a pool to everybody. And, and I tell job candidates the same thing. And is it still as relevant today when, you know, especially engineers joining, you know, young companies, the roles, while they may be defined in the beginning, they change very critically and sporadically over time. So is that, so is that you know, method of hiring for a specific uh, performance type, is that, does that still, is that still relevant to the very new? Of course, yeah, absolutely. I, I look for people. I said, Michael, tell me about your biggest project you had at this company. 
How did that change over time? How did you deal with that change? What was the biggest problem you faced? What was the biggest gap you had to fill? Walk right. me through those things. So I'm looking for the ability to not only do the work, but also to handle bigger projects. I want to understand how you did it. So absolutely. Uh, you just got to understand the environment. On 100%. the other hand, in the pace, and I look at company uh, culture, the biggest proxy is rate of change. I mean, if you've never been through a, a rapid change, like when I was in aerospace, it was like pushing on the last that nothing would change. I've been at fast-paced companies. I was the first handheld calculator company. That was every day we changed. Uh, it was more fun, and that had to be my best real-time job. Was working as in the hand, first handheld calculator. They might even have one here. One hundred percent. Just to give you guys a sense of what a handheld calculator was in 1972, 8K chip, 8K chip. Wow. All it could do is multiply, add, and subtract. Couldn't divide because it didn't know how to round off. Oh my it God! Divide. We got the 16K, could divide, but it didn't get the right end. It couldn't round off. Had to get the 32. I mean, it was pretty bad, um, but it was fun. It that, was, you know, I was in a chip factory looking at them, buying them, and it was fun, but it was weird. Different world, but same problem. Lou, just fascinating. Thank you again for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Before we leave, I have to ask you for three words that you would use to describe yourself. Well, you actually asked me that at the beginning of this, and I wasn't supposed to say, but I'm actually a pain in the ass. So that's maybe four words. But the point being is, don't accept conventional wisdom. If you're, and I, I just, and that's why it's it's hard because you have so many competing objectives. So if it's a candidate, you as a candidate, you get into an interview, you just got to ask the manager, hey, before we get into uh, my background in general, can you just tell me a couple of things you need to get done in this job? I'd like to give you examples of work that I've done that might be most related. So now you're talking about some real important stuff. You just got to push the envelope and not just accept the fact that I guarantee 99% of the people who will interview you don't know what they're doing. So you got to take responsibility to be interviewed accurately yourself and make sure that job is the right one for you and make the decision based on where you're going, not where you've been. I think Hope that's, that's helpful. Thanks, I, Michael. I think that's extremely relevant to, to everything that you know that, that, that my friends and I are going through. And, and, and thank you for the advice. Thank you for your time. Lou, have a great, great day and stay safe and stay healthy. Good. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. 